right, good morning. It is a privilege to be with you this morning. I enjoyed spending some time with your pastor last night and then had some extra time with some of the younger men of this church, uh, just hanging out, talking about life and the word and the Christian life and ministry. I bring greetings from Southwestern Seminary. Only been there five months, but it has been a a whirlwind for my family, uh, traveling back and forth to Louisville, Kentucky, and then selling a home and finally getting all the rest of my crew here, married off a daughter uh, in June. And so it's been a, there's been a lot of changes. If you do visit the campus, and I would urge you to do that at some point, uh, when you get there, I want you to walk around like you own the place uh, because you actually do own the place. Uh, It is a Southern Baptist uh, entity. And as your church cooperates with other churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, the the contributions of this church uh, help support that seminary and offset the cost of students training for gospel ministry. And then they go all over the world to reach people with the gospel. I do have eight children and um, bring greetings from them as well. My wife of Dana of 28 years, we, uh, we're all over the place these days. When you have that many children, there's some things you didn't think through. And so uh, we have found over the years, uh, when they're little, they're little. Then they grow up and they take up more space. And then it just feels like they're everywhere uh, in the house. And so I have often over the years found myself uh, quoting the psalmist out of context. Uh, Where can I go from their presence? <laughs> Behold. When I ascend up into the second story, they're there. And when I, when I descend into the basement, they're there. So actually, these preaching engagements allow me to have a little peace and quiet in my life. <clears throat> my daughter getting married this summer was, uh, was really interesting. Uh, there's no way to prepare for that. Uh, I performed the ceremony, and uh, it was uh, a very emotional gathering. We, uh, Georgia is 22. When, when Dana and I got married, Dana was actually younger than Georgia. Dana was 21. And it's prompted a lot of conversations uh, in our home about how young we were when we got married and our youth, our level of maturity, our low level <laughs> of maturity. We had, we had very little knowledge uh, but knowledge is not the same as wisdom, and God is the one that, that gives wisdom. We're going to be in James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And James is writing, and he says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit 
of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. James is asking a very, very basic question. Who is wise and understanding among you? And I think it important as we talk about wisdom, we need to ask ourselves, what, what does the Bible say about wisdom in the first place? Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 15, the fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom and humility comes before honor. In fact, the current, as I travel, the current temptation in a lot of worship services, not this one, is to over emphasize the imminence of God, the closeness of God. And that can tend to obscure the utter and complete transcendence of God, his otherness, his lack of need for us, his lack of dependence on us, our dependence on him. And this, and this in some ways diminishes our fear of God and it diminishes our wisdom. Paul told the Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. <clears throat> Part of your life being in Christ necessarily entails the possession of the wisdom of God. Paul told the Corinthians, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, saturating one's mind and heart with the word of God brings about wisdom. Wisdom is also something that you're supposed to ask God for. James, earlier in this letter, in chapter one says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. So acknowledging one's need for wisdom before God helps to bring about a level of humility before God in the very act of acknowledging that in order to acquire wisdom, you need to ask for it. James is probably in some ways addressing any potential teachers whose tongues were unbridled, rudderless, set on fire by hell, he says. Wisdom is not merely the acquisition of knowledge and the role of the teacher is not merely just conveying, conveying information and data. The Bible tells us that those who are truly wise will carry themselves in a certain way. Who is wise among you? James says, I'll tell you who. Those whose life is characterized by good works, rooted in humility, done to the glory of God. I've heard Christian leaders my whole life use the word meek in negative ways. 
As in, look at that guy, he's so pathetic. Look how meek he is. And yet, the Bible tells us that Jesus described himself as gentle and meek and lowly of heart. Some Christians associate meekness with weakness, but I've always understood it to be strength under control. And there's a certain character that results from wisdom and it is demonstrated by gentleness, meekness, kindness. I think this is why James adds the added accountability for those who would be teachers. You're not just a talking head as a teacher if you are one. You're not merely just saying words. There's a potential arrogance that comes with knowledge. I've got a campus full of them. We call them their first and second semester students. And we call them cage stagers. That they have just enough knowledge that you need to put a cage around them so they don't hurt anybody. Knowledge puffs up, the Bible says. I get calls every December from pastors who just sent a student to seminary and they finished their first semester and all of a sudden that student goes back home and the pastor says, what did you do to Bob? All of a sudden, Bob's telling me that I don't know how to preach, I don't do the Greek right, uh, I'm not a good pastor. Uh, what, what happened in one semester? Yeah, he's a cage stager. He just got enough knowledge that he's dangerous, arrogant, prideful. And there can be often an arrogance with a teacher because people are coming to hear this person teach. They want to hear this person teach and that, that can puff one up. <clears throat> Those who are wise and understanding will be characterized by humility. That's what wisdom does. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are a poison to the human heart. My heart, your heart. You can look at the lives of others and compare yourself to them, wishing you had what they had, feeling like you deserve what they have more than they do. Social media can be a poison to your heart. I just want to encourage all of you that are on social media, it's not real. Who, whoever posts, everybody only posts the good stuff. On a date with my wife, singing songs with my children. Nobody ever puts, I just was harsh with my children. I just lost my temper in the house. It's always just the good stuff. And you can easily look at people's social media pages and think, look at all the great things happening to them. Pastors do this all the time. Because pastors only put the good, you know, baptize 5,000 people today. The deacons just gave me a trip to Hawaii. Uh, they don't put all the bad stuff and it can easily create jealousy, envy, selfish ambition. And it, and, it, and it can drive us to just try to matter more. We're just pursuing wanting to matter more. I wanna matter more in my life. It also shows up in condescending speech 
the old, the old failed approach of trying to make yourself look better by putting other people down. Can I ask you a question? How often do you make fun of other people? I don't think you would do it majorly in public ways, but just in private conversation, how often do you make fun of people? How, mo- how often do you make jokes at the expense of others? I can always tell an arrogant and jealous heart by the way someone talks about other people. It's one of the ways I identify jealousy and arrogance in my own heart. It's one of the ways I've invited other people to speak into my life if they hear me making jokes at the expense of others, if I'm talking condescendingly about others. James says that not many of you should become teachers because the, in, the increased temptations to apply a false wisdom in one's life becomes exponential. False wisdom becomes preoccupied with self-promotion, comparisons with others. Selfish ambition can produce factions and distrust. Paul told the Philippians that Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. They do this not sincerely, but wanting to afflict me in my imprisonment. The Bible says to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. And this is the solution to jealousy and rivalry. You rejoice when good things happen to others and you weep when bad things happen to others. It's, it's, it's a clear instruction to the body of Christ and how we are to treat one another as more important than ourselves. I should have gotten that. I deserve that. I sacrifice more. I pray more. I work harder. Why didn't that good thing happen to me? Why aren't good things happening to me? So what is selfish ambition? that James is talking about. It's ambition that has self-glory at its heart, not God's glory. It's motivated by self-promotion, self-aggrandizement. How do you know whether or not you're ruled by selfish ambition? It's when you can be okay when your ambitions are not brought to fruition by God. You've got desires, you've got ambitions, And if they're selfish ambitions, when they don't come to fruition, you're mad at God. You're upset with God because your ambitions did not come to fruition. That's how Paul did it. How could Paul, how could Paul on one hand say, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then on the other hand say, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13 is not there to motivate you to get more touchdowns or hit more home runs. It's more about contentment with much and contentment with little. 
And when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he means in the difficulty of trusting God in plenty because you're tempted to feel like you don't need him and the temptation to trust, not to be able to trust God when there's very little. Paul is saying, I do have a mission and ambition, but it's not for my glory, it's for God's glory. So if God brings about some fulfillment to these ambitions, then praise be to God. If God in his infinite wisdom decides not to bring about these things in the ways that I envision, then praise be to God, either way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in either situation. Paul's saying, I'm not trying to make some name for myself. I'm not trying to be more important in the eyes of others than I am right now. The antidote to bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is the gospel and contentment in Jesus Christ and concern for his glory more than your own. And then James says in verse 15, this this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's strong language, demonic. What James is saying is that the, the false wisdom that comes from below is not just a bad idea or just merely not recommended. It's the source of the wisdom. The source of wisdom from below is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's how the Bible describes the world, the flesh, and the devil. Paul told the Ephesians, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, the world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, devil, and among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, the flesh, the world, earthly wisdom, the flesh, natural is not supernatural, and the devil, earthly wisdom is a tool, James is telling us, of Satan himself. Some of you might think that wisdom is just merely accumulated experience. And certain wisdom does come with experience, but it's not merely accumulated experience. Some of you think it's what we would call common sense. But there are two types of wisdom, wisdom from above and wisdom from below. When you're dealing with children, you see this wisdom from below all the time. My oldest son, he's 22. We had a babysitter when he was about five. And he went upstairs and got one of my razors and shaved his eyebrows off. And so the babysitter said, Gunner, what happened? He said, you won't believe this, but I just sneezed and my eyebrows fell off. (laughs) Wisdom from below. Now, I otherwise would not have even disciplined for that because that's punishment enough, having to explain to people for months on end what happened to your eyebrows. But the lie, had to deal with the lie. But it's not just children. Just consider this little episode in Exodus. Moses in Exodus 32. He comes down off the mountain after Aaron has fashioned a a golden calf, the Bible tells us, with a graving tool, with his own hands, 
And Moses says, what have you done? And Aaron Aaron says, these people are evil. We didn't know what happened to you. They wanted a God. So I collected the gold and threw it into the fire. And this calf just popped out. Wisdom from below. I sneezed and my eyebrows fell out. Wisdom from below is just like that. It sounds so good to the one who's espousing it. But James says it is destructive and devilish. It's exactly what James points us to in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. What is the result of worldly wisdom? Disorder, James says. This is the same word used in James 1.8 where James is condemning the double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Your temptations to yield to worldly wisdom will seem wise in your own eyes, but the wisdom will be double-mindedness, confusion, and ultimately every evil practice. Can I just offer a word of encouragement to those of you that are younger, and I realize you're all defining that in different ways, but those of you that are younger, do not resent the wisdom of those who are older than you, people who love you, who have been down the road farther than you, who have endured way more hardship than you, who have been to what we would call the school of hard knocks. Don't dismiss their wisdom, their godly Christian wisdom. As wise as worldly wisdom seems to some, James is saying, look at the fruit. Look at the character of those who are offering the wisdom. It will be evident. Find people who have character and have demonstrated godliness in their lives and then say, they probably know more than I do. Children, teenagers, listen to your parents. Listen to the older people in this congregation. I've instructed my children for years, there are two basic ways to learn things, the hard way or from the wisdom of others. Why would you want to learn things the hard way? Listen to the wisdom of others. Wisdom that is rooted in the world, the flesh and the devil will look like the world, the flesh and the devil. Jealousy and selfish ambition and worldly wisdom go hand in hand. And they're ultimately responsible, James says, for every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Wisdom from above, that's what James addresses in chapter 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. There's wisdom from above. James is not talking about intellect. What he's describing here does not come from a self-help book. It's not derived from some calculated algorithm. He's echoing Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver 
and search for it like hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Not only does James accentuate the source of wisdom from above, but he also points out, again, to the character associated with godly wisdom. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. James says, just like there is character associated with wisdom from below, there is a character associated with godly wisdom. It's pure. James will say later in this letter, purify your hearts. Wisdom from below brings with it worldliness. Wisdom from above brings about holiness, a purity in one's life. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's peaceable. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Wisdom from below brings factions. Wisdom from above brings peace. It's open to reason, James says. It's, it, it has a gentleness associated with it. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Wisdom from above does not make unreasonable, demand, unreasonable demands on others. It's full of mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's, there's a compassion in godly wisdom from above. And it's full of good fruits. Jesus said, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll, you'll recognize them by their fruits. Are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. There will be actions that the person who is dispensing wisdom from above, there will be actions in their lives that are for the good of others. James says that wisdom from above is impartial. It's decisive. It's single-minded. Matthew records, he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed on the, and on the third day be raised. And Matthew records, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Wisdom from above will be reflected in unwa being unwavering in one's commitments to the gospel. <clears throat> James says it's sin sincere, it's authentic. It's without hypocrisy. <clears throat> it 
One of the things I was discussing last night with some of the young men was sort of what I would tell my 25-year-old self, I'm 52. We talked about the Christian home, what the Christian home is supposed to look like in certain ways. And what I admonish them to do is what I'm admonishing myself to do and all of us, that in our Christian homes, one of the things that our children children are looking for the most is authenticity in their parents' commitment to Christ. When they do something wrong, they apologize. When they don't keep their word, they apologize. I said we were gonna do this, we didn't do that. I'm sorry I didn't keep my word. It's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign that the gospel is actually having an impact in your life. And it resonates, not only with your children, but other people around you. The gospel means something to this person. This person has authentically been transformed by the gospel. That's why Jesus said, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you, you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. When my uh, 18-year-old daughter, when she was about eight, we have a system in our house. If you wanna play the Xbox, you get three 30-minute little passes and you can play three times a week for 30 minutes at a time. You don't have to do it that way. That was just easier for us to keep track because otherwise they would say, can I play the Xbox? And then we would say, have you played it this week? No, I haven't played it at all this week. And their their eyes are bleeding. They played it so much already, right? So there's no way to keep track of it. So it's a little square piece of paper that just says Xbox on it. So one day when my 18 year old daughter was about seven, I went up to her room to find out how she was seeing what was going on and just checking in. And she's sitting in her bed, cutting out squares of paper about the size of the Xbox pass. And I said, what are you doing? And she was very sweet. She smiled and she said, I'm just cutting paper, daddy. Just cutting paper. She's got a whole counterfeit operation going on in that room. She's not just cutting paper. I didn't say it to her this way, but I'll say it to you now. She was like a whitewashed tomb, right? All cleaned up on the outside. I'm just cutting paper, daddy. Inside her heart, she she was a rotten grave, a whitewashed tomb. Authenticity is what everyone wants to see out of Christians. Many children grow up in so many so-called Christian homes and they learn to realize the only difference between their home and the home next door is that the home next door, they get to sleep in on Sundays. Finally, verse 18, James says, and and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So people that, that, that are dispensing godly wisdom, that possess godly wisdom, because they're saturated in the word and they've asked God for it. Their life is reflected by it. They'll sow peace. And sowing peace by those who make peace yields righteousness. It yields right behavior. 
It's like Genesis. It's kind of kind. The fish reproduce after their kind. The birds reproduce after their kind. Right behavior and peace are two sides of the same coin. That's why the author of Hebrews says about discipline and the results of discipline. He says, afterward, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right behavior yields peace. If everybody was behaving rightly, we would not need people called peace officers. It's the law of the harvest. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. It's kind of kind. If you want the peace of God, you need the wisdom of God. And not only does the wisdom of God have certain character to it, it has a particular result, peace. Wisdom from below brings about every vile practice. Wisdom from above brings about peace. Seek godly wisdom if you want peace in your home. Seek its purity, its gentleness, its sincerity, its good fruit. You want peace in your church? Seek God's wisdom like you would silver and treasures. Seek its impartiality and openness to reason. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And then you can say with Paul, oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen.